0: Global warriors, welcome! This is your gathering place, the sacred space where ordinary people share their extraordinary life experiences. The impact they are making on others, their communities, and the world. It's time to take a stand, listen, get inspired, and learn how to join the fight for change. Transformation starts now. Now, for your host, Keisha Reynolds.
1: Okay, Global Warriors, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to bring to you today, Mr. Andrew Warner. He is a husband, a father, a podcaster, and he is perhaps best known as an entrepreneur and the founder of Mixergy, which is an online company that interviews founders and shares their stories via podcast and also through his membership site where he provides exclusive content, including masterclasses, from industry experts. On his website, which is MixerG.com, it says, and I quote, MixerG is the place where successful people teach ambitious upstarts. Yeah, man. Andrew, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, I know I've simplified, you know, who you are in that paragraph. Is there anything you care to add to that?
2: I don't know that I like to put my family. I don't like this is such a jerky thing to say. I don't think I would put my family first. I'll tell you what. I spent a yeah. lot of time with them. I especially now under Covid. We spend tons of time together. We love being together. As soon as I get up at six o'clock, they hear my footsteps and they come into the living room. And they spend time with me. But I think my parents spent a lot of their lives, all their lives putting us first, and it felt a little suffocating. I feel yeah. like, go have your own thing. We'll be together, too. but I don't need that much attention. I want to, if anything, spend even less time with my kids and be an entrepreneur, be a person first, be a runner first, and then also be their dad. And I know that sounds wrong and evil to say. And I assure you, I promise you, I spend a lot of time (laughs) and and thoughts about my kids and I love spending time with them. But I just feel like I can't be a whole person if that's who I am first.
1: Mm. So how would you order
2: it? I think... I would say I'm an entrepreneur first, a creator first. And that energy is what fires me up.
1: You know, it's interesting because at first I had entrepreneur, podcaster, I had all those things. And then I thought, no, you know, he has a family. And so I reordered it probably according to my own lexicon. I think it's the right way
2: to do it. I just have all these memories growing up of these older people sitting around my parents' dinner table. My parents love to have people over. And there were all these people who would talk about how you have to do for the next generation. You have to take care of the kids. And I was looking around saying to myself, you're not doing anything with your lives. It just feels like, is this the empty cycle that we're going through where you're living for the next generation who will then live for the next generation after that, who will then live for the next generation after that. And you all have these, it's not even jobs. They were entrepreneurs often. But you have these things that you're doing that you don't love, that you're not passionate about, that you're only doing to continue this cycle of then taking care of the next generation. And I didn't feel at all fulfilled even talking to them, didn't feel at all excited even talking to them. I kind of wish it would have been different, that they would have had a love in their lives that the kids then got to experience. And I think that would have made them more interesting and made them more useful. But who knows, maybe if I had the opposite experience where my parents just spent nothing but all their time on work, I would have felt resentful. God knows I've seen people who felt that.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, there's a mixture, but that experience made you who you are today. And that's actually one of the things I wanted to talk about, because a lot of your interviews, you do drop little insights along the way as to who you are. But how would you describe and you've alluded to it, but how would you describe your life purpose?
2: I knew it from an early age. I knew I was an entrepreneur from before I was 10 years old. I'm sure all my teachers knew it because I was insisting on telling them. And then at some point after that, I discovered talk radio. And I loved that they had this point of view. And truthfully, I'm not a conservative or Democrat or Republican or any of it now. But at the time, I was a diehard conservative. And I would hear these guys talk about how business is being shut down. They're not paying attention to companies. And all that. And a lot of it did resonate with me because I'd go to school saying, I have this passion for business. And the teachers would say, that's wrong. I have this passion to understand what the stock market is. Well, that's an evil place. So I thought, I'd like to be a voice in the world that helps people who are interested in business feel not like they're evil, but like they're valuable and valued contributors to society. If you hear my interviews over the last 10 plus years, you hear me constantly ask entrepreneurs about their childhood. And often they'll say, I sold ice cream. I sold lemonade. I didn't just mow lawns for money, but I then had other people work under me and mow lawns because they're proud of it because that's who they were as kids and you couldn't suppress it. And so if I had to say what type of voice I want to add to the world, it would be that to create this environment where people feel like Being an entrepreneur is good. Being an entrepreneur is a valued and valuable part of society. Mm,
1: Very interesting. And you're actually one of the people that I listen to and I pull my inspiration from. So you are changing the world in that way. What kind of impact have you seen yourself having thus far?
2: One of my big problems is that I'm not good at accepting compliments and remembering it. My wife and I were sitting on the couch last night and she said, I think every time I compliment you, you think I'm talking down to you, that I'm patronizing you. And truthfully, as she said that, I realized, yeah, it's true. I think you're just like giving me a Mickey Mouse star on my (laughs) chest. And so when entrepreneurs who I interview say, it really helped me to hear your interviews when I was in college, when I was in school, and when I was starting out and see that there was another path beyond what I was told when I see they tell me that that it's possible and it's difficult and it's all part of the process and they get into it and they become entrepreneurs. I don't let it sit with me enough, but I hear it enough that I acknowledge that it's true. And if I were a better person, I would, when they said that, add it to some kind of page somewhere, if for no other reason, frankly, I should add it to a page just to promote myself, but also to reflect on. I've seen entrepreneurs, I've seen people who will have some list of compliments that they've gotten that really felt true to them, that they'll put in a notebook somewhere, even if it's like an online notebook, usually it is an online notebook, where they could go and say, I'm having a bad day. Am I really meaningful? Well, let's go in and see why people value me, why people like me, what people see that's useful. And then they perk back up. And I should be doing that.
1: Yeah. Do you have a sense as to why you don't? And even Mm -hmm. in some of your interviews, you're still transparent in your interviews, but there is that little segment sometimes that I notice where you'll say, uh, I didn't really do a great job reading that, you know, Ta-da. ad piece or something like that, and I, I noticed the self critique.
2: Yeah, I think I am someone who is very dollars and cents oriented, and I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate money as an indicator of success. I think if I was in sports, I would be the person who. The teachers who are teaching my kids, who are the coaches who are coaching my kids, would hate because they keep saying it's all about having fun. And I would be the person goes, well, no. If I, it's all about scoring points. And if I scored enough, then I know that it was fun. And I think that's it. That it's there's not a clear metric, a metric that matters in the world that goes along with it. And that's that's a flaw of mine. And I, I think that one of the flaws that I have with that is by only valuing that, I'm not valuing the things that get to it. And I shouldn't say only value it, but it's the only metric that I look at and that's a big mistake. It's like, if you're out on the field, I'm not a sports person, but I'll say this anyway. If you're out (laughs) on the field and you say, it only matters if I score a lot of points today. Well, the first couple of minutes that you're out there and you don't score any points, you feel like, well, I'm not doing a great job. It sucks. I'm not really a good player. Instead of saying, well, I love this. I'm going to score. This is what matters. Not where I am now, but where I'm going. So that's something that I think about a lot lately.
1: That makes sense. So I guess just along that line, are you a person that thinks about the things that you do well. I mean, I know you're known for being a master interviewer. Do you consider yourself one as well?
2: I do spend time pushing myself to be aware of what's going well. I do constantly say who needs help. Mm -hmm. And that's partially to know what people need help with, because I think as an entrepreneur, I have to be of service to people. And so I constantly go out into the world and say, if you need anything, if you need any kind of help, just hit me up and I'll be there and we'll get on a call. I don't say that it's always, I don't have an open door policy. You can't just barge in (laughs) in the middle of something. You can't just text me and say, Andrew, you said I can need help anytime. But I will often send out an email to my whole email list, put it out on social media, put it out in different places and say, if you need help, I'm here and I'll work with people. And I do acknowledge that Over the last few years, one of the things that people need help with is interviewing, having better conversations, and I'm someone who is so systemized that when I wanted to get good at interviewing, I would learn from people who did it better. I would create a Google Doc with a name for each of the techniques that worked and then a description of how it worked. And that's helped me. And it's also been something that I can use to help other people who are looking to interview and having a process, having something documented does make me feel a sense of control and understanding.
1: I love it. Are you... A spiritual person. And the reason I ask is because I've always noticed over the years and I've I've listened to you for many, many years, but consistently, I guess, for the last several years, you're on the cover of your podcast with the artwork and you have a mala in your hand. And so what does that symbolize for you? Why do you have it there? And then I guess, lastly, are you a spiritual person?
2: The mala for people who don't know is it's these meditation beads. It's a bead bracelet that people use for prayer in some religions, for meditation in others. And what happened to me was I was on the cusp of selling my company years ago, and then it fell through. And I was just so devastated by how it fell through because I I thought I'm on my way out. Things are good. And now I can take a break. And then it fell through and I said, well, I'm exhausted from work and from all the work I did into the sale. And now I feel even worse because these people told me that I'm not great enough, not important enough for them to want to continue the acquisition or they mess with me intentionally, which is also frustrating. And so I was willing to try different things to just relax a little bit. And so... I tried meditation. I remember this guy, I think because he was in Manhattan, he charged like a thousand bucks a session, something outrageous. Wow. I went into his place and everyone talked about how great he was. And I lay down on the ground, which I thought, Oh, I thought you're supposed to sit for meditation. He told me, no, you don't have to sit for meditation. You can actually lay down. And as you're, as a new person, you might find a better experience laying down. And I laid down in his office and We did the meditation and then I freaking fell asleep. It was a great sleep and I was a terrible sleeper at the time. For most of my life, I was a terrible sleeper. So I liked it for that, but that seemed expensive. And then he even recorded what he said to me and I thought, well, at least I'll use it to sleep, but the recording didn't help me sleep and it definitely didn't help me meditate. And I tried other meditation experiences. And then one time I said, you know what? This was, I eventually did sell the company. It was an online greeting card company. I had some time off. I could do whatever I wanted. And I would just journal what I felt like doing and then see if there was a solution in the world to let me do it. And what I wanted to do was just spend some time thinking. And I looked around and said, are there thinking retreats? There aren't. Well, they're writing retreats, where well, there are, but I couldn't find one that would fit what I was looking for. And then I found a meditation retreat and I said, I could just go there as a thinker. You know, I just wanna go and think. Right. People aren't talking, I'll just think. And so I signed up and then I wrote a list of all the things I wanna think about. And I decided I wouldn't just sit and think in empty space, I would journal it. I would do nothing but journal all day. And I had a list of questions and one of them was like, why am I being such a jerk? to people. And uh, I forget the others, but I remember the answer to that one after going to this spiritual place where I didn't feel connected to spirituality at all. It felt a little bit weird to me to be surrounded by. It. But I remember the answer to that one was, i sold my company and I had nothing to sell. And so if I suggested an idea and somebody agreed with it, I would then take a different position just so I could have them disagree with that. And then I could sell them on the new position. And then when they agreed with me again, because they saw that I'd achieved something and so I must know something, then I would shift my position again, just so I could have a thing to convince them. And I realized it's because I have nothing to sell. I'm just feeling empty. And so I'm trying to push sales where it doesn't belong. Anyway, I did all that. And it was incredibly helpful for thinking through for a week, doing nothing but journaling through my ideas. And then this guy said, well, are you meditating here? And I said, no. And I remember he had this ripped up t-shirt, dirty jeans. I said, I don't even know how to meditate. It's not working. And he says, I could teach you. And so like the New Yorker that I was at the time, I said, great, I'll pay you. And I don't think he even wanted to be paid. It was like a little weird, but okay. So for $30, I think instead of $1,000, we went into the meditation place that they had. It might've been a temple or something in there, but he just sat and he said, I'm going to teach you how to meditate. And one of the things that he did was he said, I want you, as you're breathing in and breathing out, you're not going to be able to focus just on your breath. Just say the word so hum, so hum, and move your finger back and forth as you're breathing in. So hum, so hum. And what I discovered from that was it helped me stay in the meditation, that my mind was so into movement, so into thinking, that if I tried to meditate somewhere, I couldn't. My mind would wander a million different places, and so him saying that made me think, oh, so, hum, so hum. my mind would wander to, did I pay him too much money? Thirty dollars was it weird? Should I've just offered him ten dollars? What's, what's the right price for this? Nope. my mind would just go back to so hum, so hum, and I just stay focused and so hum. Anyway, it worked out really well, and then I needed something that would allow me to meditate while I was walking around, and so I discovered, you know, instead of just moving my finger back and forth, empty. I happened to be in the Balkans. Everyone was walking around with these meditation beads, these prayer beads. I bought one of them. And I said, I'm just going to think about a thought and just move a bead. And it could be so, um, move a bead, so, um, move a bead. And I could even walk through life saying, so, um, move a bead. My brain doesn't have to think about what do I need to do next? Where do I have to go? Did I fail at that? Did I make a mistake at that? No, I could just stay focused by saying, so, um, so, hum and it worked. And those beads helped me stay focused. And that was incredibly helpful.
1: How long ago was that experience?
2: Uh, It must have been like 15 years ago. So the beads were so helpful for me to just stay in focus. And what I learned from that was, even when I wasn't using the beads to stay focused, my mind would not wander to other things. It wouldn't wander to, is this the right thing to say? Is this the right thing to do? Just stay so focused. And the beads were something I would just have around my wrist and if I was in a conversation, I would just move a bead, stay focused. If I was somewhere where I was bored, I wouldn't reach for my phone and just tinker with it. I'd say, this is a time for me to work on my mind. i just move a bead, say a word, move a bead, say a word, stay in focus.
1: Do you need them still?
2: I do. I don't do it as much, but I do need them. I do find that my mind will wander to different things where I don't want it to, and the inner critic will come up. The reason that you see me kind of punching with the mala beads on my face, what I'm really doing is kind of punching the inner critic and using the beads to do it because the inner critic will say, well, this is a mistake. It just wanders. It just yaps in my head. The beads help me stay focused and tune it out and stay in where I want to be.
1: It's curious. So the inner critic still creeps up, if you will, Although you've had all this success, I mean, you mentioned your greeting card company, mm-hmm. which you started in your 20s, and that was hugely successful. Why do you suppose the inner critic is always lurking still, despite your success?
2: I wonder if it's just part of who I am. Maybe I have it. Maybe it's part of all of us. Maybe it's just a yeah. way that we analyze things. Maybe it's something that we throw on our on ourselves And our kids, or maybe it's something that our parents threw on us out of concern, and we then throw on our kids out of concern. Give you an example. My kid climbed a tree. I immediately said, oh, no, you're going to fall right? Because I worried about him falling. And now I'm putting in his head, trying to climb up is going to lead you to fall. And if I Mm -hmm. say that over and over, because I'm worried about him falling, he then has in his head, this connection of climbing is going to lead to falling or potentially getting hurt. And Not how do I stay on here properly? How do I keep on climbing? Where do I want to go? But what could go wrong? And I think that we do that to ourselves. We do that to our kids. We do that to each other a lot out of love and care. But those messages then get stuck in our head. Those associations get stuck in our head. That way of thinking gets stuck in our head.
1: Absolutely agree with that. I think for me, we do all have an inner critic. And there's a book by Michael Singer called The Untethered Soul. And he talks about that critical voice that's in all of our heads. I think you're just more conscious of it than a lot of people are, which I think is great because that's how you can actually combat the inner critic. And you have your method of kind of silencing the inner critic. Whereas I think many people, they don't even know how to differentiate between who is themselves. And then that voice that's constantly critiquing in the background.
2: You know what? I'll give you an example of where I saw that happen. One of the things that I did after I sold my company was just go on Craigslist and say, if anyone needs anything, I'll just help out. This woman said, I could use some help. Give me whatever kind of coaching you can. So I got on calls with her. I helped her out. One of the things that she needed was help getting a job. And so I hired an employment coach. It was actually really interesting for me to just sit in and watch how this person taught her to answer questions, saw the mistakes that she was making, teaching her. She taught her something like, if you're ever asked about a skill, what I want you to say is, say talk about a quick story where this happened and then give the skill. So it's something like, don't say I'm resourceful. Instead, say the computer went down at the restaurant where I was working. Nobody knew how to see people. I immediately knew to unplug it, connect it back in, call the phone number, make sure that it worked, and then got it back up within five minutes because I'm resourceful. Now you've got a story. Anyway, they trained her to do that. It was fascinating. But one of the things that she told me was she said, I'm super tall. I'm a beanstalk. And I looked at her. She's shorter than me. I'm five. nine she's shorter than me she's no no beanstalk <laughs> and then as she said it she kind of laughed and i said what and she said actually my ex-boyfriend said that that's one of the reasons why i broke up with him and i realized Her ex-boyfriend used to say things like that to her. And so she got rid of him. The voice of her ex-boyfriend in her head was Mm. still there. And because it was in her head, she didn't get rid of it. She just saw it as a part of who she was. She wasn't even aware of it. It wasn't until she said it out loud to me that she's a beanstalk that she realized that she she laughed. Yeah, she
1: integrated it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we think it's us versus if someone else said it to us, we'd kick them out of our lives. And it's just that's the difference.
1: Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, If you had a friend who talked to you that way, you would absolutely separate from that person. That's amazing. I've had plenty of experiences like that. What would you say you're most proud of? And so we talked about like the inner critic and we talked about where you felt like you could improve or you're constantly like judging yourself and pushing yourself. And maybe that's part of your drive. I actually think that is. To improve because you do this self analysis, what would you say you're most proud of in life?
2: It's hard. I'm proud of the way that I am with my kids. I'm proud of the work success that I've had. But as you say that, the thing that I'm both proud and happy about right now is the fact that last year I did seven marathons on seven continents, that I found a way to get to all those places, the pleasure that I had just going out and meeting strangers at different restaurants in different countries and getting to know them, the pride that I have about the work that I did on airplanes, the enthusiasm I had when I came out and I looked that I was in Mongolia. And even though I hadn't slept enough, I was so curious. I just walked the streets of Mongolia and looked around. And the first time that I landed in Antarctica, and I've never landed somewhere and said, this is so beautiful and different. and felt like I was in a different planet, but I felt that And all those memories make me feel both proud that I'd done it, that I found a way to get to Antarctica when it was difficult, that I got to run 26.2 miles on all those continents, that I had the experience, that it was no upside, really, but it was (laughs) absolute pleasure. That's something that I'm especially proud of.
1: Yeah, I was enthralled by your whole journey and you interviewed some of the entrepreneurs that you met along the way yeah. and you talked about your experiences the whole time. And I, it was so impressive because it was clear that it was from a passion place for you.
2: Yeah, I loved it.
1: I guess, what would you say you learned most from that experience? I know you're most proud of it. But what did you learn from doing that?
2: When I reflected back, the thing that kept coming back to me was how hard it was to get to Antarctica and how at times I thought, whoa, if I don't get to Antarctica, I said I was going to run seven marathons on seven continents in one year. If I don't do that, I'm going to be a real failure here and everyone's going to know it. And that was tough and plaguing, but it was also encouraging to know I had to do it, that I couldn't just slack off, that I really wanted it and I wasn't going to pretend that I didn't want it and not make another phone call. And then I remember being creative with people and saying, is there some way I can do it? Calling up, a cruise line that went around or somewhere near Antarctica and saying, technically you'll be in Antarctic shores, right? In Antarctic water, right? Yeah. Well, can I get off the boat? Well, they check and then they say, no, we don't, we can't guarantee it. I say, All right, how about this? If you're technically within Antarctic waters, I would be happy to just run a marathon on the boat. And they said, Well, if you run a marathon around the boat, actually it turns out you might slip and we don't want to take that liability. We can't promise you that you'll do that. So it was like constantly doing things like that. And then it finally hit where there was this one organization that's responsible for people who go and do expeditions on Antarctica. And they said, we will get you on our airplane with all these people who are going on these shockingly ambitious tracks. And we'll make sure that you can do your marathon and we'll take care of you. That's what we do. And they were fantastic. They got me on this old Soviet plane. In fact, even before I got on there, they made sure that I had all the right equipment so that I wouldn't freeze to death there. They came to my room. They made me lay out all my clothes. They checked through a checklist. They told me I was missing a few things. They sent me out to get glasses. I didn't think I needed sunglasses because come on, who needs sunglasses? I said, you need sunglasses. The ones that you have have a little bit of a hole on the side. We're not comfortable with that. I went and I bought sunglasses from Chile that completely covered my eyes so that there wouldn't be direct sunlight hitting it because it was so bright there. That was Stuff the fun part. It.
1: Yeah. It sounds, intri- I mean, those are memories that you'll be able to carry with you forever. Yeah. So I guess going back to Mixergy, I'm curious if, so there's this part of you that likes to explore. You're very curious. I think that's the word for it. And I think that's what keeps you driving forward. Yeah. Do you foresee an iteration to G. What does the future look like for Mixer
2: I don't know. I've been thinking about that too. What I do know is that whenever there's something I'm curious about, I now have a platform where I can go and find out about it and meet people who can teach it to me. So for example, I was bumming out when my office was getting shut down during COVID. I remember the interview that I did as it was getting shut down was with an entrepreneur who was with two, with one investor who said, this is basically the end, (laughs) like financially. I said, we're going, he said, we're officially in bear territory. We're going into recession. And I thought, oh no. And then with another one, I talked to her about, can you imagine all the things we used to do, like reminiscing as if we're definitely in a depression? Reminiscing about, do you remember how we used to be so wasteful and we'd buy coffee and the two of us would talk about, yeah, that was crazy times. Anyway, it turned out that things weren't that bad. But when I was trying to figure out what would happen, how do I deal with this? I just went out and said, who's doing better now? I want to learn from the people who are doing better now than before and be surrounded by it. And I suddenly got not one, not five, but A lot of people who are doing better, and I picked some to interview on Mixergy, and they were from all over the world. And so that opened my eyes to what was possible. And that's what Mixergy allows me to do, to say, I am curious about this one topic. Who is doing it well? Who can I talk to? And then, boom, I get access to those people. I get to ask them the questions that I'm worried about, that I'm wondering, that I'm curious about. And sure enough, there are other people who are in the same boat wondering the same thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And definitely, I guess, what have you learned? I guess you're calling that series Recession Proof. Is that correct? Yeah,
2: I kind of stuck with that title. It's probably a little bit, I think when we were going into recession, I thought, I want to know which of the businesses that are recession proof. My audience is wondering how could they survive a recession? Truthfully, what it turned out to be is this is a recession for just about everyone except for people in tech, that it's shocking that people in tech are doing better now than before. And so they're not worried about a recession. If anything, they might feel like they're well set up to go into a recession. It's like when the country goes into war and everyone's wondering what's gonna happen to us, the people who are in the arms business are not worried about their lives. They're thinking, we're okay. We're going into a different type of war, and the people who are selling technology or in the technology space are not so worried about themselves. they're They're feeling almost a little guilty for doing so well.
1: Got it. Yeah. I wanted to ask what advice, I guess would you give to someone just starting out building a business? And maybe specifically in the tech space, since that's doing so well now, what advice would you give someone?
2: seems like there are always these changes, and when they happen, they bring about big opportunities. I was just listening to a podcast that a friend of mine now, or acquaintance, Gregory Gallant, the guy who taught me how to do podcast interviews when I got started about 10 years ago. He did an interview with the founder of Okta, and he said he worked for Salesforce at a time when people were moving their contacts into the cloud, and he got to watch how Mark Benioff created this real revolution in software. He used to have these buttons that he would hand out, Mark Benioff did, that didn't say Salesforce. I think they just said no software because it was about, we're not going to force you to put software on your computers. We're just going to you know let you have your software in the cloud. So it just works. Anyway, he realized the founder of Okta that suddenly every business had lots of different software all in the cloud. Their people had to keep track of what apps the company had access to and what their username and passwords were on all those accounts. And that created a privacy nightmare for a company, but it also created a resource problem for them because they were paying for all these resources and their people didn't even know about it. And so he created Okta, the single sign-on company. I think it's worth like $25 billion. I should look into it. I never heard about it before. My wife, who's in social market cap, let's find out how much it's worth. My wife helps for-profit companies with their social mission and mm-hmm. so she was talking to them and they said, what is this company? And we started to find out how amazing Okta is. It's worth $35 billion today doing that thing wow. because Todd McKinnon, the founder, realized we're shifting. I think there come these shifts all the time. And if we find them, then we'll find customers who are A, willing to switch, and then B, willing to even put up with a product that doesn't work perfectly at first, just because they have such a big problem from this new world. So for in Octo's case, the problem was businesses just couldn't have different passwords for each person, and they didn't want to be vulnerable. And so they were willing to have him create software that wasn't integrated with the software that he was like logging his people into, but it was just like stuffing the username and password in, scraping. Anyway, so the big question is, what's the transition? What's happening? right now that's is happening that's different and they're is where the opportunities are. So we're seeing, for example, now more and more people are willing to go online to buy the things that they need for their house, to shop for pleasure. What can we do with that? How can we actually create a business that helps either the businesses that are going online now or helps the people who are looking to shop online? We're seeing other transitions. I'll give you a small one. I see more and more websites and apps being built with no code. There are people who want to learn how to do that. I see companies doing well teaching it. I see people do well just selling templates to people who are trying to create a no-code website using Notion, for example, because that's the new thing that's happening. We should just think about what's changing, what problems do our people have in this shift, and then jump on those opportunities.
1: Absolutely. I get ideas all the time from listening to your guests, perhaps too many ideas. and (laughs) a creative person like me, I'm just kind of all over the place because I want to try everything. And I have dibbled and dabbled and, you know, I've gone into software at one point, it didn't work out, but you know, that's how you grow, you iterate, but it's a very wise point. I think to kind of look at where we are and look at where you can fit into that or solve a problem of today's modern society. What would you say your legacy is when it's all said and done? What is the thing that you're going to leave behind or what is it that you want people to know about you or what's your mark in the world.
2: When Steve Jobs was dying, he didn't leave a rule book for Apple saying, here's how to do it. He left them case studies. He said, instead of doing what I tell you to do, just see how we thought using case studies. My favorite part of going to business classes at NYU was they had the Harvard business cases where you would see some entrepreneur or business person's problems, think it through, and then see if you could come up with an answer. But we needed to know what they were doing to understand their thinking and their problems. I say that because- I now have over 2000 entrepreneur detailed stories on my site where you can see how they decided to make the decisions that they did, what the ramifications were both good and bad, and I think that that collection of case studies is my legacy. I used to laugh when I would see that Johnny Carson saved all of his tapes so carefully that he put them in a hole in the ground in Nevada because it was so dry that he could protect the material. And I thought, ah, who cares? What is this guy? He cares about jokes. But I I realized that when YouTube was a thing, Johnny Carson became one of the biggest entertainers on YouTube because somebody pulled his clips and turned those into YouTube clips. I shouldn't say one of the biggest. He, He became a big person in that space, even though he was dead, when podcasting was a thing, somebody took his old clips and then they had a narrator just talk about what life was like at the time and, and then play jokes from that period because he took such good care of his material. I want to take that kind of care of my material on Mixergy and I don't know what next platform. Johnny Carson died not knowing the internet, not knowing about podcasts, not knowing about YouTube, but he's on there. I don't know. Maybe we're going to have chips in people's brains and then I'd like to be part of the software in there where you get to see how these things. 2000 plus entrepreneurs who made incredible successes, incredible leaps for society, how they thought and be able to think like them a little bit from each person. And I think that that's a dramatic improvement in, well, maybe it's overstating to say it's a dramatic improvement. I'd like to have a bigger impact than that, but I think that's the legacy that you now have all that.
1: Beautiful. Thank you. How can people get in touch with you?
2: And I used to say, come to my office at uh, 201 Mission Street. <laughs> I don't know when I'll go back to the office. I
1: remember that address. You would give it out a lot. Has anyone people ever showed up? In. Oh, they they would.
2: Oh, people would just pop in or they would say, I now know where you are. And I see that I'm going to be close to there. Can I stop by at some point this week? And then they'd come in for a drink or they'd just come in and just want office space. And so they'd sit down and they'd have great office space, good internet. And we talk. So, oh yeah, people, lots of people came through there. <laughs> Now I would just say the best way to see me is online. Just Google me, Andrew Warner Mixergy. Look for me in your podcast app. And at some point soon, you'll get to see me at a conference. We'll see. I'll awesome. be back.
1: <laughs> Andrew, is such a testament that you're warm enough and inviting enough to allow people to come and sit in your office space and that people could pop in on you. And you were gracious enough to bless me with this interview. I think you're just such a kind and giving person in addition to being an entrepreneur. And I just thank you for your time and thank you for your presence here on the show today.
2: Thanks for having me on, giving me room to think and talk about all this.
1: Thank you. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Thank you for tuning into the Global Warriors podcast. We hope our time together has been a catalyst for improving the world's frontier. Don't forget to subscribe to receive our podcast on a regular basis. Join our mailing list by visiting www.globalwarriors.org. Until next time, put up a fight to make a difference and declare war on what divides humanity.